Media. Big shout out to everyone. Thank you for tuning in and welcome back to another explosive segment of Live from the Block. Want to wish everyone happy holidays and a progressive new year. 2020 is right here and I hope that you have big plans to be successful and to be productive. We are always keeping it real and keeping it relevant here. I'm your host, Ezekiel Thomas. Yeah, yeah. And I'm honored and grateful for the privilege of your time. Okay, so we're broadcasting from the belly of the beast, <laughs> no doubt. Bringing you exclusive commentary on the American prison experience. And my hope is that I afford you a real look at the untold tragedy of incarceration. An untold tragedy that manifests itself and unfolds itself daily and one that not only affects those who are incarcerated, but also society in general. And you may ask why it's tragic. It's tragic for this reason. The promise of rehabilitation is failing to produce programs that create authentic transformation in the life of those incarcerated. Millions of dollars, millions, annually expended and wasted to promote a model for behavioral change that's not producing change. And what's at stake is not simply the reputation of a, of a convicted felon or a family that's devastated because of a, love member, a, a, a family member or a loved one is behind prison walls. No, what's at stake that we all need to be concerned about is public security and safety. Because an unhealed criminal mind is like a cancer that poisons the social health of community life and the social body of society. And um, look, just I, like many other people, we just don't understand. We don't understand how a technologically advanced society as ours that can penetrate and harvest the mechanical power of the atom can develop comprehensive programs that's able to penetrate and heal the self-defeating thinking of the criminal mind. We just don't get it. The inability to heal and harvest uh, from, from the criminal personality has been the deficiency in the current model for uh, prison reform and criminal rehabilitation. And on that note, folks, I'll transition into our discussion topic, um, and I'll set the tone for today's segment entitled Developing Comprehensive Measures for Successful Rehabilitation. Now, in that regard, there are four items of concern related to rehabilitation that I want to point out as being vital to this uh, uh, discussion on criminal reform and criminal rehabilitation, right? Um, And this is a national conversation that's being had in every aspect and in every corner of our nation. And I want to make a contribution by evaluating these four items, the first being criminal the criminal, what I call the criminal rehabilitation fallacy, all right? The criminal rehabilitation fallacy, and we'll discuss that at length. The next is a view of rehabilitation from a historical perspective. Third is a critical evaluation of the current model for rehabilitation. And fourth, we'll look at new theories and proposed models for criminal rehabilitation developed on uh, an anecdotal perspective or from an anecdotal perspective where we look at the individual successes of countless incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people and look at how they have been successful um, with redemption and rehabilitation and hopefully we can replicate that success in some type of program environmental setting for all those who are incarcerated. So let's jump right into the discussion. Um, Yeah, as I've said, there is a prevailing fallacy regarding criminal rehabilitation and uh, uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, the seeds of that fallacy that I'm describing are actually inherent in the very word rehabilitation. Um, the word rehabilitation is a compound word, right? It's a compound word. 
uh, the prefix re and the word habilitate being the root word. Now for a second, just for a second, I'm going to get a little technical because I want to bring out the point that I'm describing so that you can understand it better, right? The prefix re in Latin means to return, um, to repeat something previous, to go back to a place, to go back to a position that was formerly occupied, to return, right? Habilitate is also an interesting word because when you study the etymology of this word, and the word etymology just means the history or the family tree of the word, when you look at the etymology of habilitate, it tells us that from a linguistic standpoint, this word shares the same word family as words that are commonly used like habit, uh, habitat, and habitual, right? So the word habilitate carries the connotation or has in it an intrinsic meaning that's associated with behavior. And the idea is of, of habilitate is that it is a useful behavior that was once practiced as a habit. So when you place the prefix re before habilitate, it creates a very distinct and unique meaning. It means to return someone back to useful behavior that they once practiced, but no longer practiced because they've been deviated from the practice of that behavior. Something deviated them from good morals, something deviated them from good ethics and values and good character, and through the process of rehabilitation, they are being restored and redeemed back to this behavior. Right? This is what this word implies. And there is a supposition here. There is something that's being supposed, and what is being supposed is the basis of the fallacy that I'm referring to. And what is that? What is that supposition that I'm saying amounts to being a false assumption? Well, the supposition here is that there is a presumption that the criminal who practices bad behavior once practiced good behavior and good habits. And that the criminal therefore knows how to be good and how not to be criminal. And this is a false assumption. This assumption presumes that the criminal knows beforehand what the contradictions are in his or her thinking. So rehabilitation, <clears throat> from that perspective, is not about teaching the criminal how to become a new person altogether, rehabilitation becomes more about reminding the criminal of what he or she once was. And this is a very, very serious mistake. The presumption that criminal behavior doesn't arise from miseducation, but rather it's just some disorientation in a person's basic values or priorities. That crime is more about uh, being having an identity crisis than it is about deficiency in knowledge. <laughs> Believing that criminals already know better. They just simply have to be shown better. That's what uh, rehabilitation should be about. And if we follow that logic to its rational conclusion, what that logic will continue to produce, as it has already produced, is flawed programs. It's a delusional fallacy that teaches criminals to skip over vital psychological work that has to be done inside of their hearts and minds in order to produce new values, new beliefs, and ultimately become a new person. Now, what I'm saying is this, folks. Before you can rehabilitate someone, you must first habilitate them. They can't be restored back to values and beliefs and practices that they've never had. So this is the first point that I wanted to discuss with regards to rehabilitation. The approach that the current model uses for changing the thinking of criminal uh, 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 behavior is flawed because the approach falsely assumes that the criminal is in possession of critical life knowledge 
that he or she doesn't actually possess. Now here is the million dollar question of today, of this day. What happens when an entire criminal justice system is built on this fallacy? What happens is this, high rates of recidivism, repeat offenders whose basic criminal thinking has not changed or altered. And the point, the final point is this. When we build models to change criminal thinking that don't start with what that criminal mind believes or assumes to be true, then what you produce is incomplete change that translates itself into wasted resources, flawed programs, and repeat offenders. There can be no rehabilitation until there is sufficient habilitation that exposes the criminal mind to new values, new beliefs, in order to become a new person. So the next time you look at the word rehabilitate, I want you to think about this contradiction that's inherent in that word. Now moving on to our next item of discussion, um, we're looking at it now from the historical perspective. We're going to look at the historical perspective um, in context of rehabilitation and the mission of criminal reform throughout uh, the last uh, century. And to develop that critical perspective, we need to start our evaluation at the turn of the 20th century with the Industrial Revolution, where the model of production moved from agriculture to industry, and that may not seem immediately relevant, but it will. In those times, the criminal, the person who committed crimes, whether it was a woman or a man, was seen strictly in economic terms. It was all economic. A person was a criminal because they were poor, they were marginalized, or they were disenfranchised, um, and they chose criminal behavior to compensate for their life that their lack of uh, or deficiency of skilled labor as a factory worker. So they committed the crime because they were not trained or they didn't have the training to be law-abiding citizens. The prevailing wisdom in that day was that if you wanted to neutralize the criminal impulse of the person, what you did is you armed that individual with employable skills that gave them access to the workforce and made them more competitive in the work market. And the theory of criminal rehabilitation came, believe it or not, from that assumption. And that theory attempted to reform criminal thinking by uh, vocational and academic training that gave the criminal competitive skills in the workforce. Well, that worked for a long time. It worked in theory until around the 1970s, which saw the emergence of a new type of criminal mind a criminal who wasn't driven solely by economic factors related to production, but also by mental health and personality issues related to thinking. This was what I call the mental health criminal. This was a person who became socialized in the public when state hospitals around the country began to decentralize and they began to release patients into the general population of society for outpatient care, right? These were individuals who were no longer committed to psychiatric institutions, but they had outcare patient options. And so they were normalized to some degree back into popular uh, society at large and became a part of the general population of that society. Um, And this decentralization process that I'm describing, if you go back and look at history, it was spawned by national allegations of abuse uh, of people who have mental handicaps and, and, and who have mental health issues and psychosis. 
That's what was going on. But what happened was this. As these troubled members of society failed to appropriately adopt and adjust to society and acclimate well back to society, they began to commit crimes. Um, and they were incarcerated. And state prisons by default, <laughs> you ready for this? State prisons by default became the new mental health psych wards. I'm going to tell you what statistics say. That 60 to 70% of those who are convicted of crimes now have a history of mental health problems. And on any given day, the largest distributor of psych meds in the local, in, 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 in any uh, municipality will be your local prison. So instead of the old economic criminal, whose criminal behavior was motivated by marginalized work experience, well, this new criminal was driven by poor cognitive and mental management. And this is the irony. This is the irony. The type of criminal change, but the model for rehabilitation that was supposed to reform criminal thinking didn't. You hear that? We have a new quality of criminal thinking, but we have the same old model that was originated at the beginning of the 20th century during the Industrial Revolution. The model was still based on the view of crime as it was seen during the Industrial Revolution period, where crime was looked at as an outgrowth of the workforce, of workforce incompetence. <laughs> That's what's going on, folks. The new criminal needed more than vocational training. He or she needed cognitive and mental training that would help them think rationally, that would help them manage emotions, that would help them develop correct values and correct priorities. This new mental health criminal is the brand of criminal. We have 60 seconds remaining. It's the brand of criminal that we find prevalent in today's nationwide prison system. Once again, we are addressing a a flaw in the theory of rehabilitation that skips over the cognitive, mental, and psychological aspects of criminal thinking and assumes that the problem is more social and behavioral than psychological and cognitive. Listen, we're going to stop here. I'm going to finish this segment up because it's very important that you understand this. As we close out, we have 30 seconds remaining. As we close out, I want you to remember that this issue is something that cannot be ignored. Until we meet again, I want you to stay focused, I want you to stay positive, stay free, and stay healed. Don't mix the next segment, I promise you, it's going to be informative, and it's a much-needed segment if you're going to understand criminal rehabilitation. Ha-ha! <laughs> Take care.